wonderful community of listeners, and welcome to episode 31 of Creativity Lives Here, a podcast designed to support you with tapping into your peak creative potential. I'm so delighted to share another beautiful and inspiring conversation with all of you today. This one is with Ashley DePaulis, who is a body muse and movement alchemist, which translates to somatic embodiment practitioner. And Ashley helps high-performing women transform stress and enhance energy holistically. Inside the Vital Body Method, which is her signature program, She teaches you how to activate your body's natural healing state for growth and expansion by feeling, processing, and understanding the energy being expressed through your body so that you can align with your most vital self. I've spoken before about how I believe that how we feel in our bodies is directly correlated to our ability to tap into our peak creative potential. And Ashley's work is a really important piece of that puzzle because it's all about learning how we can connect with our bodies so that we can be present in the here and now and also creating a feeling of safety within our bodies because when we feel safe in our bodies, we also feel safe to express ourselves creatively which is one of the topics that we dive into in today's conversation. And some of the other things that we talk about are accessing our deeper gifts, Ashley's program, The Vital Body Method, Letting the Kid Within Win. And I also asked her if she were to share one tool with this audience, what that tool would be. So Ashley will be revealing that as well. I learned so much from my conversation with Ashley. And one of the things that I really appreciate about her work is how simple and accessible all of her tools are. And speaking of her tools, Ashley is also generously sharing a free gift with all of you where you can experience some of her magic firsthand. And you can find the link to access that gift in the show notes below. As always, thank you so much for being here and listening to this conversation. And reviews on iTunes mean so much to me. So if you've been listening and enjoying the show and feel called to write a review, I would be so appreciative of that as it really helps others find this show. All right. Let's dive into this beautiful conversation with Ashley DePaulis. I have always been interested in health, wellness, fitness, well-being, lifestyle, you know, all the things that go with that. And so it was an area of study of mine in school and still continues to be. And that also merged with my own experience of being injured um, in a car accident at the age of 19. So that process of physical healing was the easy part. 
And even though at the time I know I was challenged by, cause when you're 19 and you're very active, when you're hit with an injury, cause I broke my back, um, my, and all kinds of other bones, I won't go through it at all, but that was the big one where I had surgery and what was frustrating to me at the time was having to rely upon others, which is still a learning process for me. You know, just the process of when you're healing physically and even emotionally, like you might have to rest more. And like, I just remember having to take naps and I was like, I know that I'll be better when I don't have to nap during the day. (laughs) So it was um, in like getting back to regular life because at the time I was, you know, supposed to start, um, well, I was already in college, but supposed to start a new semester. My car accident had happened in January before a semester of school was going to begin. So it like totally blows you out of the water of like, okay, this year is not starting how I thought it would. (laughs) Um. But also during that process and a lot of what I have come back to uh, in my own healing journey. So there was the physical healing and I went on with life and didn't know that I was living with PTSD for 14 years. So there was that aspect and starting that journey. But then in starting that journey, also uncovering the deeper having a near death experience and understanding that and how that relates to greater ancestral trauma and, you know, all the things. So it has been, it has been a journey and it's still unfolding into this life that I'm living today. Wow. That's an amazing story. What shifted for you? When when would you say did you begin a a deeper healing journey that went beyond the physical and and what kind of triggered that? Mm -hmm. So uh, in 2013, so that was the 14 years later. So during that time, I didn't know I was living with PTSD. I was, you know, living life as a normal 20, 30 something year old. And what I knew during that time and what I saw begin repeating in my life was just this, I knew emotionally, I would only cycle through a few emotions. (laughs) And it was usually overwhelm, anger, frustration. That's not to say I wouldn't get, I wouldn't be happy or I wasn't enjoying life, but I seemed to get stuck in those emotions. And how that played out in relationships and, um, you know, career and things of that sort. Well, in 2013, I was in another car accident. I was driving home from, I had just been meeting with a friend and I was talking about starting my own business because at the time I, I was already technically, I had started my own business, but not officially because I was working with um, a friend of a friend who was wanting to get physically fit and um, become healthier in her weight. So I was doing that work and that's how my business started more as personal training and health coaching. Um, 
but I was driving home. I was at a red light. I, the light turned green. I went and out of nowhere, um, somebody ran a stop sign at a pretty high speed and T-boned my car. Um, I wasn't physically injured, but what I was told by another family friend who is a psychologist, she told me, um, that having a repeated event can awaken trauma in your body. And so she thought that it would be a good idea to see an EMDR therapist. Um, and so I, I started that process alongside that, which was so interesting because as I shared from my first accident, I broke my back and all kinds of other bones, had surgery, all the things and didn't experience physical pain as part of that process. Not to say like it wasn't uncomfortable to have surgery or anything like that, but my experience wasn't representative of ongoing pain. And so this experience, the second accident, actually it wasn't even a second, but second big one um, was there was a lot of physical pain that I had to work through and then emotional pain. So I had learned, um, you know, just from somebody who works with the body and then being exposed to healing trauma that a person, and, and we hear stories like this, but until it's our own experience, we don't really know it. um, for ourselves, but you can have physical pain without having an injury. Because like I said, in my second accident, I didn't really, I didn't have any physical injuries, but I had all this pain. I had to be in PT for a pretty long time, um, and just strengthen some aspects of my body that, um, needed it from this experience. So I started that second, this leg of the journey in 2013. Was it almost like that second accident was a blessing in disguise because it allowed you to uncover these other modalities? Most certainly. Um, I think all of them have been a blessing in disguise. Like, of course, they're a life interruption and no one wants to have to go through something like that. But if that had not happened, then I would still be walking around or, you know, maybe it would have happened later, but I'd be still walking around in the shadows of PTSD and to live a life in the shadows of PTSD is very survival based, lots of stress, lots of anxiety, you know, just very armored and very protective. And, you know, it's a lot harder to connect with people. You know, I still even find where in more intimate relationships, not with females, usually, usually with males, where I have to notice where I want to guard myself and protect myself in ways that are based on that conditioning of PTSD and of the experience that I went to, um, went through prior to my accident because it was with a boyfriend. It was, my dad was involved. So there was male energy there, um, that also needed healing. So, 
So there were just so many layers to uncover. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All of these experiences led you to become a body muse and a movement alchemist, which is Mm -hmm. what you call yourself now. So can you share a little bit about what that means? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, So those are fancy words for (laughs) somatic embodiment practitioner. And because, you know, we always want to sound kind of cool. The reason why I say body muse is because, you know, I have been working with the body for a long time. And something that I've noticed in that process, two things, is that I'm helping people unearth what's within them. Um, and that's, you know, the, the part of being the muse for somebody else to see what they're not seeing, um, to uncover what they're, they need to uncover to move to either their next level of fulfillment, success, whatever it is they're, um, trying to go after. And another piece of that is, um, you know, for a long time, I, you know, when we have a skill in something and it comes so naturally to us, we don't always see it as significant as it is, um, or as important as it is, or we don't really recognize all the steps that we go through with people, uh, to be able to articulate it to somebody else. So that's something I've really been, uh, swimming in. I'm like, Oh, I do this thing and there's this term for it. And I didn't know that because I, I do work so creatively and so just following my natural instinct and my intuition and that really is the other part of being the muse for somebody and for myself. And really one thing that I discovered that when we, so you and I met at an event two years ago and this event, you know, had us explore various aspects of our consciousness and our gifts, I'll say. And one thing I recognized there that I was able to see where people were blocked in their body. Uh, I was actually physically able to see it at that event just because we were in such a high level of consciousness and you're not every day like sitting in that space. And I was able to see, you know, it wasn't necessarily with everybody there, but if they had, um, like I remember one person had angel wings attached to them I remember somebody having um, a peacock around them. So I started seeing those things, which could be an aspect of, um, I'm kind of touching on a few different tangents here, but I, in my healing journey process in 2017, I started um, studying and practicing shamanism. So when I see like those animal pieces, I'm like, oh, it's like touching into some of that. But I realized that I don't necessarily always have to be in that particular state of consciousness to see because I saw the light body um, and could physically see like where there was a block. But I I also do that just watching people's bodies move. Your body tells a story 
And so in that movement, I can also see where there's imbalance, where there's blocks. So it goes, it has been interesting for me to see, I see it both ways. Like I don't have to be in one state or the other to necessarily be able to tap into it, if that makes sense. Totally. And what I find so cool about this is that you obviously got trained in somatic experiencing and, um, or, or sorry, somatic embodiment. Is that the right term? Yeah, yes. som- somatic embodiment. Um, so that's your foundation. But it really sounds like you, you know, you started learning these other modalities like the shamanism, and then you also really just allowed your your intuition and and things to come through from another realm, um, mm-hmm. which is really special. Mm-hmm. It is. It is special. And it's been like, wait, am I making this up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that was actually kind of my second question, because I think that takes so much courage to work like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one thing when we get certified in something and then we're like, okay, I can do this. I'll just follow the, you know, the rules and the instructions mm-hmm. I was given, but to actually give yourself permission to access a deeper part of yourself um, mm-hmm. takes more courage. You're right. And thank you for that reflection because it is a place where I get in a funny dance, like a wonky dance <laughs> <laughs> with myself at times. Um, and I think that's part of the creative creative process. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely something I've had to give myself permission for, um, or to do and actually like what I come back to reminding myself is if I want to open to that level of intuition, then I need to not look or become distracted by what other people are doing, even if there are parallels, because it's like keeping that uh, line of energy pure. Because if I'm always paying attention to what other people are doing, or if I'm always um, relying so heavily upon what I've learned in the past, then it's not going to be as organic of a process. Um, and it's not going to be true to, you know, what I'm bringing into this world, what message I'm bringing in, what work I'm bringing in, even if it's not all mine, because I don't consider it all mine. You know, this, a lot of this stuff has been out there for a while, but it's just like letting it come through in the way that it needs to come through now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, what you just said right now is such a powerful reminder to really anyone who's in a creative process or creating something. And especially nowadays, I think it can get, it can be so easy to get caught up in what other people are doing. And, and in a way it's like so easy on, for example, on Instagram to constantly seek permission for what you're doing by looking at what others are doing. And sometimes it can be like on the opposite end of that, it can be validating in the respect that if you don't 
constantly scroll. It can be like, oh, you know, this work is needed. There's other people doing it. I have like my, you know, people that I can collaborate with. So in that way, it can be amazing. Yeah. (laughs) There's a fine line. For sure. For sure. Another question that came to mind now as I was hearing you speak about your work So I can imagine that a lot of the people that you work with um, haven't necessarily gone through as traumatic of an experience as you have. What does their transformation look like? Because I think in in your case, it was a very um, um, drastic transformation because you went through such an intense experience, but it probably looks a little subtler for some some of the other people that you work with. So I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah. So I would say for the people that I work with, and I'll share one of my favorite stories, they have gone, I mean, yes, we can say we've all gone through trauma at different levels. Um, And I have worked with people that have gone through injuries and health challenges, which are very traumatic, especially, you know, where the parallel is between me and them is that um, it can be invisible to them. Like they'll know that something had happened at some point, but they don't necessarily think that it's driving certain behaviors that lead them to um, high levels of stress, anxiety, burnout, things of that sort, avoidance. And so there's that parallel, the invisible piece of the puzzle. And there's also the, you know, sometimes when you want to avoid things or what I found with people when they have injuries is like, Oh, I thought I've already dealt with this. Why is this back? Which you don't have to have had an injury to have have that experience. Cause I think we all you're like, if you're somebody who's going on the healing journey and you thought you healed something, but if you come back to it, you're like, Oh, why am I here again? Um, so my people tend to have that, uh, mindset often. And I know I've been there now. I realize it's all, you know, part of the climbing the mountain and you get up higher and you have a new perspective, um, that spiral of energy. But, you know, one of my favorite clients and her transformation, and it speaks to the invisible piece. So she is highly competitive um, and is a rower and travels all over the world. Well, not right now, (laughs) um, to be part of these rowing competitions. And she's on a team that wins a lot of these competitions worldwide. And she was having an experience of, um, pain in her body. She did not have a particular injury that had happened to her recently, like in the time that we came together, but it was causing her to believe that she was the weakest link on the team. And if anyone found out about this pain that she was in, then, you know, it was, you know, she was going to be exposed and she was an imposter on the team and so on and so forth. Um, So that was actually affecting her 
far more than the injury, but contributing to the pain that she was experiencing. Um, what we uncovered, which I was like, how did this, how did this happen? Um, and that you didn't, the connection wasn't there for her, but as soon as we uncovered it, it was for me that she, so she's a rower. She almost drowned three times when she was younger. Wow. So yeah. So there's that, um, connection as well. So I had numerous accidents to come to my, you know, these various levels of healing. Um, this woman had three experiences of drowning and not really making that connection to how this aspect of her, um, it was her inner child who needed that attention to be healed, yet she's going out on the water in these competitions all the time. Um, and the thing that was manifesting um, in her current reality was when she would go out just to practice as a rower, um, whether it be by herself or with a few other teammates, there would be these instances of younger kids being on the water, either in, uh, on jet skis and fooling around causing waves. And then her boat would tip. So she would end up in the water and in a panic. So, so when we uncovered this and it was from her being put in the water, but she wasn't in danger, but had this like panic attack about it. Um, that's how we uncovered the piece about, oh, oh yeah, I drowned when I was a kid and it's happened to me three times. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. And, and when you say uncovered, because I know so much of your work is, is, is body work. (laughs) I know that you don't just talk to your clients. So I'm just curious and and maybe in, in relation to to these sessions with this particular client, what did that process of uncovery look like? So what it looked like. So I definitely do talk. Mm-hmm. Um, she at the time was going through, which I still use aspects of this program, um, and I love the term inner athlete. So that was one of my first um, larger programs that I put out into the world. But it was this six-part process of using this avatar of your inner athlete to navigate your experience, to navigate what was going on in your body internally. So those sensations that come up that you can be quick to dismiss or ignore that are trying to get your attention. So they're like the sounding bell but are you going to let it get to the place that the alarm is going off and it's an emergency or can you hear it and get quiet and notice it and see where it, what it's wanting to say to you. So it's um, a process of awareness. So being aware of when you are triggered and what that brings up. So in her case, like the panic in the water, um, So awareness and then like realizing, I think what I have noticed um, in working with people is that they don't realize in at that time when you bring awareness to something and then 
you either choose, it's the choice piece of, am I going to ignore this or am I actually going to allow myself to look at it and feel it? So it's that feeling process that they were previously skipping over because they were, there was so much fear around the feeling, but when you actually allow yourself to feel something fully in that moment, it actually only takes your body 90 seconds to metabolize that feeling if you totally allow it. So if you think about 90 seconds versus how we will a lifetime, (laughs) yeah, lifetime, um, yeah, yeah, Yeah. like how we repress and ignore and all the things, um, that lead us to all these behaviors that we don't, we're like trying to change. (laughs) It's like, so, um, kind of muddled and backwards, (laughs) But we have to train our bodies to be able to look, you know, have that awareness, make that choice, um, integrate the lesson, and then actually have a practice. And that's where the embodiment piece comes in, have a practice that helps us move through those challenging feelings, move through those challenging moments, and really witness ourselves in this whole new way you know, the way that I always taught the aspect of the inner athlete within us, not only this navigator, but having it be this extension of yourself versus it being um, our full identity. Because what I also found, um, and was my own experience as well, is that when you're so rooted in this identity of being somebody usually, um, you know, for my, my people, it was an athlete or a past athlete version of themselves. Um, or, you know, just remembering their body working better than it does now, you know, cause it went through changes over the years. There's this, there's such a connection to that, that they, it's hard to see that that was a, that was a version of you that, you know, served you, but here you are now. And how can we, you know, let go of that so that you can be who you, you are today, but without all of that heaviness of, I need to be different than I actually am. I feel that if we're so attached to a past identity, we also can't be fully present with what's going on in our bodies right now and process that. Yes, indeed. And that's where we end up in that same cycle of, um, you know, repression, ignoring, avoidance of the here and now. And just having those same, you know, for my people, it's usually some sort of physical or emotional pain and like wanting it to go away. And And how that really drains a big way that shows up is draining your energy and feeling like you can't rest enough to feel good um, again. So the movement aspect, so that that's like moving through a process for sure. Um, But also bringing in, since I've worked with people who are highly active, a lot of what they need to do is actually take their attention off being so highly (laughs) active 
and looking at how they're moving through their day. And that can be, you know, when a trigger comes up using really simple exercises like touching your body. So an embodiment practice could be, okay, I was just triggered by something and I need to calm down my nervous system because I'm noticing I have shortness of breath and my thoughts are going wild and I don't like this, but, you know, just pressing your hand. Like if you put your arm out right now and you take your opposite hand and just move um, and press going up and down your arm on one side and then the other, and then on your chest and then down your legs, that can just be a way of coming back into your body, coming back to the present moment, slowing your breath, making it deeper. Um, So it's those, those movements that are serving these particular scenarios for people that I work with. Beautiful. And, but I also make them dance. (laughs) That's a really important piece. (laughs) It is. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, you were going to say. Well, actually about the dancing, since you brought it up, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. my family and I have been doing dance parties every couple of months. And every time we do it, it just feels so good. And it it does. It is a great way to kind of dump heavy energy that you may be holding on to and not realize that you're holding on to and then lift your energy up. Um, you know, I remember one thing that, that the client that I've been talking about said in particular, she's like, wow, it just blows me away that, you know, putting music on and just dancing around your room just lifts you up. And it's so true. So it's like, it's again, those, simple things that we think are so insignificant and won't do anything really does everything for us to shift our mood and our attitude and our thoughts. So your signature program now is called the vital body method. I'd love to hear more about that. So it's not too, from what I explained, like taking you through the process of navigating, um, having that awareness tapping into your subtle senses, making a choice, and then using simple practices, simple embodiment practices to bring your attention to the now. All of that is similar. Um, I think what (laughs) happened is it's interesting. Um, When I was bringing people through my inner athlete program, it was marketed as a fitness, nutrition, accountability, and I forgot my fourth thing now. Anyways, so it was marketed in this particular way. But the way that I spoke about it was bringing these people in who needed everything that I just shared with you. Um, and yes, we would make maybe some tweaks around nutrition or activity. And really it was really changing mindset around. Oh yeah. That was the other one. Mindset, (laughs) (laughs) changing mindset around how 
your being with those things in particular. And so what I found is that I was really doing this work of the vital body method where what I see that as now it's really creating this strong foundation to heal emotional reactivity so that you can respond differently to situations that come up, you know, that make you a better um, listener, communicator, friend, partner. And the thing that I love about the term vital body. So it's like really about coming fully alive in your body and Mm -hmm. feeling safe to do so. Cause that was another output that I wasn't necessarily intending as I brought people through my process, because so many people would say, I feel safe in my body in a way that I never have before. Mm. And so I really believe that when we have that level of safety and security within us, then we can actually become fully alive in our body and express through our body. So it's that extra step of how are we expressing ourselves in and through our body. And the piece that I also love of that, that links to creativity is I saw many of my clients get back to painting. Wow. Um, get back to writing. So it's, you know, shifting from this heavy place of, I always have to be doing and achieving to, I can relax into being myself and feel safe expressing myself in ways that I usually hide from the world because I'm afraid to be judged, you know, or it's this thing that they might consider being weird about themselves. Like one of my clients had these, this pair of shoes that she always thought was so cool and funky, but she would (laughs) never wear them because she was afraid. But then she was like, I'm going to wear them. So it's, it's like things like that, that are so significant to somebody's well-being, honestly, because it's who it's an expression of who they are. Absolutely. And what comes to mind as you just said that is, you know, it's often said that you need all of your basic needs met in order to be creative, meaning you need a roof over your head and, you know, you need to make sure that there's food on the table. But as you were just talking, I realized even if all your external needs are met, if you still don't feel safe within, you still don't have that necessary sense of security, um, in order to express freely. Yes. And the way that I heard that, saw that show up it, cause it's definitely that what I would hear my clients saying, because I like, I'm like obsessed with language and how we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really hear these things of what people say over and over and the words that they use. And I observed that these women were, you know, taken care of by their basic needs, um, had support around them. And yet they would say things like, I don't feel supported. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I just want to feel supported. And that was really 
for themselves. It was a within job for them to feel in integrity with themselves and their bodies. That's how I noticed. I was like, okay, they, they are supported. They have support all around them, but yet they don't feel supported. And I've, I've definitely been there myself. So yeah, we can have all that and not feel safe expressing who we really are. And then I also feel that it goes both ways because then once you create that sense of inner safety and um, embodied power, then that has a ripple effect on your external physical world, which I'm sure you've observed as well in your clients. Mm-hmm. It's It shows up as holding boundaries, like actually communicating and expressing how the person actually feels. Um, Because I know for a lot of my clients, it's been, you know, they'll put other people's needs first, which is not all too uncommon for women to do. But then if you're going to shift the okay, I, a way for me to support myself is to put my needs um, up at the top as well. How am I going to communicate that to somebody else? And, you know, usually there's a lot of fear around, I don't know how somebody else is going to take this, but what they've all found and what I've found to be true for myself is that when you do actually express that, it gives the other person permission to do that for themselves. Um, so it's a big shift in the energy of the relationship without it being this huge drama. Cause we often, we, I think we fear that having that honest communication is going to create drama because it, the drama is actually created by not sharing. And so that's what we know. So we expect it when we're honest, but then we, learn that when we're honest, that that drama doesn't seem to happen at the level at which it did previously. So then that's creating a new pathway between the mind and the body. It's like a new cognitive skill that you have to continue practicing um, to feel, you know, safe and comfortable taking that action, that course of action. So that's just one of the one of the ways, but a big one. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's such a common struggle and um, you're right. I've observed that in my own life as well. And even if there is drama, it's normally very short lived. And afterwards there's a greater sense of, of freed up energy and um, nothing hanging in the air anymore. Mm -hmm. Cause it's, it's that sense of like, you don't have to resent somebody. Because I think so much of that energy is the resentment of like, I'm holding myself back or holding myself smaller in a situation versus when it's expressed, you don't, you're not whole, even if there's drama, you're not holding on to resentment. It's like, oh, I was true to myself. That is a relief. Yeah, so true. Pivoting the conversation a little bit, you shared that one of your superpowers, and I love this, is (laughs) (laughs) that you always let the kid within win. 
So I can't take credit for that statement. I just love it though. It's like, so like, let the kid in you win. Um, And it came up because one of my friends, and this is, I mean, I know we're still in the pandemic, um, but this was like the thick of it where she was out on a hike in Northern California and she came across some swings in the woods, which I'm like, Oh my God, if I saw a swing in the woods, I'd be on it in a second. So that is a way that I let the kid in me win. Um, like belly swinging, you know, on my, um, you know, seated upright swinging all of it because it looks so beautiful. So I had seen in this picture. And so I asked her like, where is that? Um, did you swing? And she was like, no, I didn't let the kid in me win. And like, it's those moments, you know, she had such the, like that statement is like so powerful in my opinion. And those moments where we either choose to, or choose not to, um, let, let us experience that joy. And that is something I have always been able to do, even under, um, challenging circumstances. So when she said that to me, I'm like, yeah, that, that is one of my superpowers. Um, and I think that's in part, you know, I am an only child. I (laughs) grew up, um, you know, of course I had friends, but I also spent time alone where I was playing and kind of making stuff up. And I had a really great and still do have a great imagination. And I think that is a superpower in the healing process for one. And I think it's also a superpower for creativity and expression. So So yeah, I let the kid in me win. If there's more specific questions. No, I love that. I I love that saying and I I love how it serves as such a powerful reminder. It's funny. I also, I'm also an only child and I also grew up playing by myself a lot. And it's true. I mean, I feel like now when I'm, when I'm the most connected to my creativity, it's the same feeling that I had when I was a little kid playing. It is. It is a feeling in your body. It's like this, it's, you like light up from the inside, but that's how I experience. And it's like, Oh yay! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's like pure energy running through you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you bring this, this concept of the kid within, do you also bring that into your work with your clients? I do because what I have found is that since they are typically being hard on themselves, um, very serious minded, they, you know, there was this process that I would do and usually now I can tease it out. So I don't have to go through this exact process, but at first there was this, um, it's called the wheel of life. You may have heard of it, but it's a chart where people can, it shows like eight different aspects of life. And what I was finding through doing that process with 
the people I work with in particular is that they were always lacking play and they wanted to get back to a more playful version of themselves. They wanted to enjoy themselves more because they're like, why am I like the rower, for example, she loved, she started doing what she was doing because she loved it. But then the heaviness of like being serious, so serious about it or feeling like the weakest link took that joy out of the process. And she's like, why am I even doing this if I'm not, you know, allowing myself to experience that joy? And so I think the statement of letting the kid in you win reminds you like, oh yeah, okay. (laughs) How can I make a choice that's going to serve that? Like, am I in, have I been in my too serious mode? Um, Because, you know, being an adult and doing adult things is going to get us in that mode. But where can we lighten the load of that a bit? If you were to share one of your tools with the audience today, and this is an audience of people who are interested in creativity and tapping into their peak creative potential, what tool would that be? Let me ask you this. For this audience, is there ever frustration around like I'm, I guess maybe what you would call it as like creative blocks. Like maybe you have this new idea and the process began and then you feel blocked. Yeah. Is that very common? Absolutely. Would you say? So in that particular scenario, we want to open up again. We want to open back up to that creativity. So a lot of times what happens when we're trying to control or what does happen, not, it's not a maybe, it does happen. Um, when we're wanting something to happen that's not, there's an aspect of control there. Anytime we're trying to control, that actually ups the fight or flight Mm. system within your body, which closes down your receptivity. Um, Because it's kind of, even if you're not physically having some sort of panic attack, there's a level of panic going on. (laughs) And so I would say in those moments to shift from this fight or flight or sympathetic mode to your parasympathetic, which is your rest and digest and uh, being able to open up once again, the breath is just a very powerful way to do that. What I like to do, and I'll share a particular breathing practice, but I also like to combine um, touch of the body or either movement of the body. So it could be walking, It could be um, having your hands at your side and just taking, um, I go to my right hand, even though I'm left-handed, oddly, that you take your thumb and your middle finger together. You just press it together gently and you just make a figure eight at your side. Mm. Like drawing? Drawing a figure eight? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so pairing that movement, whether it's this figure eight pattern or whether it's walking with the breath of 
and you're only going to use your nose with this breath. It's six counts in through your nose and six counts out through your nose. And if you can repeat that pattern, just take three minutes of time to repeat that, then that will shift you into that parasympathetic state where you can open up to more receptivity, calm, um, bringing in more energy, more breath, more presence, um, because creativity, I believe, <laughs> requires a level of presence. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. And this was a fascinating fact you just shared about how when we're trying to control, we're moving into fight or flight. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. I think when like a big piece that I feel called to teach is teach people about their bodies. Because I think when we have more understanding of what's going on, there's less blame and judgment of I'm doing something wrong. This is not working. Why, you know, we, it, it, we spiral less in that it's like, Oh, okay. I'm, you know, just witnessing, okay. I'm trying to control this process or control this outcome all right, that ups my, the way that my body is responding. How can I shift that? So it, it gives you more power and control, the con- control, the thing that you want. Right, actually, <laughs> but true control, not control just in your mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love that. So this information is going to be in the show notes, but where can the listeners go to learn more about you and your work? So I hang out a lot on Instagram um, and my handle will be there, but it's Ashley.Depolis. And I'm also on Facebook and I have a free gift that I shared with you to put in the show notes where people can go to receive um, there's actually three pieces to it. So I share a breathwork practice, the one that I actually just shared with you here. It's called coherent breathing. And if somebody, it's also um, helpful to, it's helpful to everybody. So when you practice coherent breathing, then when you go into a stress state, you're able to bounce back more quickly to, um, that rest and digest or parasympathetic. So your response or your ability to move through stress is increased. Um, So it's a really great practice. I have that in there. I also have a grounding prayer and um, my go-to movement meditation. So that can be used as a way of intentionally calling in the energy that you want to experience for whatever it is you're creating that day. Um, Or it can be used if you're feeling low on energy, agitated, um, frustrated, you know, all those things (laughs) to shift out of because we really do have a lot more control than we might think we do over how we're feeling. Yeah. So, and again, I would go there. (laughs) Yeah. And and what I just so love about all your tools is that I feel like they're all so simple and accessible. Yeah, I think one of the things that I was sharing with you before we hopped on is we 
sometimes don't participate, you know, people may hear meditation and like, Oh my gosh, I don't have time for that. It's another thing in my day, but it's what I like to do with people. Um, Some people call it habit stacking. So when you already have a habit that you're doing, so maybe it's like going out and walking your dog, placing that meditation piece with that already um, practiced habit allows you to bring the new thing in without much of a fuss of like, I have to take extra time out of my day to do this thing. Yeah. (laughs) But yes, you are correct that, you know, three minutes of breathing and moving your arm in a figure eight position (laughs) can be done anywhere, anytime. (laughs) Yeah. So true. And people don't even have to see that you're doing it really. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Very cool. And thank you so much for sharing that free gift as well. Mm-hmm. Of course. Are you ready for the quick fire round? Oh, yeah. Yes, I am. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite creativity inspiring snack? This week, <laughs> it was paleo chocolate chip cookies oh, that I found yeah. that were so good. <laughs> Sounds um, like the kid within love that. <laughs> yes, completely. Usually it has something to do with chocolate, mm. I would say. Awesome. When is your peak creative time? In the morning, afternoon, evening, or at night? I think sometimes it moves around, but because sometimes it'll be in the morning. A lot of times I would say it's when I'm in my shower and I joke that I have a shower oracle. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, or it's when I am moving. So I, it's usually when I'm out for a walk or if I decide to dance, Mm. then like things, it's usually like those things that drop in that then I can take action on. But I tend to, when I'm taking action on them, that tends to be an afternoon thing like it may come in in the morning and then I take action on it in the afternoon interesting I love that distinction yeah Yeah, no one has ever (laughs) answered that question in that way I love that chocolate or coffee oh both (laughs) (laughs) but oh I do love coffee I love really good coffee me too (laughs) what kind of music stirs your creativity Lately, I came across this. um, So I have Spotify, like I pay for it. So it, um, you know, gives me everything that I want (laughs) and no commercials. And I and it makes playlists for me. And I found this playlist that it made for me that it's like the 2010s until now. So it's usually (laughs) I will say that it's a mix of music. Like it's not one genre. Um, if it do, if it is one genre, it's usually like I was listening to. If you've ever heard of Soul Rising, yeah. which there's not lyrics, but oh. it's um, just a flow. And so that's another one. Like I can actually listen to that and you know execute or you know be in the 
the place of like allowing creativity to come in. I usually can't listen to lyrics if I'm working or allowing something to come in. I'm exactly the same. Yeah. What inspires your creative soul? The sunshine. (laughs) Um, I want to say my dog. (laughs) I think just letting things be easy and playful. Honestly, it's, it never comes from, you know, thinking I should do something a certain way or having to do something. So it's this, it's just an open, like really having open space. I think that was one of the biggest things I learned from my previous relationship was that I need a lot of space to do my thing. And I feel comfortable with that. It's, does somebody else feel comfortable with that? So for me, it's, it's those, those three things. <laughs> 